on April 16th. Uh, I know some people have, have, have just fasted stuff. They're fasting TV or they're reading through the Bible. Or they're, they're doing something in terms of what Lent, really the essence of Lent is, is a preparation of our hearts and minds for what is the most important event in our faith, which is the resurrection, the crucifixion and then the resurrection that follows. And so I was thinking about, you know, leading up to Easter and, and, and at least this week, it kind of a series, maybe, I don't know if a one week is a series, but giving up stuff. What does it mean to give up um, certain things? And, and that's the essence of Lent is that we give up. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is losing control. And because I think Lent is more than just giving up these things. Ultimately, it's about giving up ourselves. It's about giving up our hearts and our minds fully and completely to the Lord. And that's why worship this morning, it was just so full of, of really the message. And so, honestly, I don't feel like I have to say too much this morning. But um, let's see. Do you have a pocketbook, Kristen? Can I, can I have it? Do you mind if I go through it this morning? <laughs> How about your wallet, Stephen? Can I have your wallet? You got money in there? No. Ah. <laughs> Oh, so he's handing it over. You don't mind me going through it at all? No credit card stuff? Yeah. Anyone else kind of not want to give me their wallet or pocketbook? or We have control issues, right? Social security number. Someone give me their social security number and driver's license and birth date. <laughs> you want to give it to me with birth date, checking account number, all that stuff? Some things we protect because it's wise to protect those things, right? I mean, even our wallet, we probably have credit cards, money, things that we don't want just anyone to have. I don't know how much money I have in my wallet, depending on who's rated my wallet or the kids or different things like that. I'm, I've got a place where I don't even carry. But we, I believe, sometimes have control issues with God. You know, we're easy to describe other people kind of as a control freak or controlling behavior or they micromanage or something like that. And all those kind of have not so good images. But sometimes with us, I believe we kind of want to control so much of our own lives, so much of who we are, until we get to a hard place or a place of desperation. And then we just cry out for God, oh God, I need you now. And, and it's subtle. It's not necessarily so blatant sometimes. It's very subtle. And that's really what I want to look, look, us to look at this morning is some of the subtleties that are there in our hearts and our minds where we haven't fully given control over to the Lord. You know, I think we live in this modern world where we're used to having control of so many things. Siri or uh, what's the Amazon Alexa or whatever, can, you know, you can just say something and it, and it does it, right? Um, we, we can watch stuff on demand if we want to. We, we've got Spotify or other things where we can pull up the song that we want YouTube. We have this kind of demand thing at our fingertips to say, I want control of this. I don't like this song. I can switch to something else. I don't like this person. I can move on. And even what Ben was saying, hey, I don't like this church. I can even move on. It's consumer mentality sometimes. And we often fail, I believe, to seek God's will for our lives. And more than anything, we want to call the shots because we ultimately, I don't think, fully trust God. Is he fully trustworthy? Is he fully someone that we can trust? Is he someone that we can really put our faith into? We fail to sometimes live up to this idea that we are to deny ourselves as we take up the cross and come and follow after him. We want the final say. You ever been in that, that type of argument where you've got to have the final word in? You know, we, we, we want to have that final word. Yes, Lord, but it's a lot of our conversations, I believe. This morning I want to look at Genesis chapter 2. 
a few verses and then go into chapter 3, but starting in verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And this is what's interesting perfect relationship you have the creator god with the creation e or adam and he's getting ready to create eve a few more verses down but there's this creation that's adam and eve and, and, and all the animals and and the trees the mountains and all that and god's really declaring and making it very clear i am the creator but you are the creation and as part of the creation you have a privilege a responsibility but more than anything it's a privilege to oversee everything. Go name the animals. Take care of the environment. Take care of the animals. Take care of all that. That is your responsibility. But there is one thing that you can't touch. There's one, well, not touch. One thing you can't eat, and that's this fruit from this one tree. Now, a lot of people say, well, why would God do that? Why wouldn't he just make the garden perfect and put the tree outside? Well, he would have been holding some of himself. That's the nature of what we see here is the beauty is God, when he created us and created the heavens and the earth and everything, he didn't hold anything back. He, he gave us access to all of him. And this was part of who he was. It's not necessarily uh, a prohibition, don't do this for the sake of because I want to control you. It's don't do this because I know when, when you eat this that you're going to see yourself as trying to be equal or tr not trying, but you will see yourself as equal with me. And I am the creator and you are the creation. I will take care of you. And when you looked in Genesis 2, God took care of every need of Adam and Eve. Every single need. They had no worries. They had, they had no food issues. They had no provision issues. They had no fellowship issues. God took care of them. And then as we get into chapter 3, the temptation in the fall, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say you, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil or knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was des desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they, they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, there's some interesting, I think, observations, very subtle observations. And I want to just kind of hone in on the, on the subtleties of this because I think when we talk about control, losing control for God and allowing Him to be in control of our lives, there's some subtleties that we buy into that prevent ourselves from giving Him full and complete control. What, what we see here is that the enemy begins to plant some seeds of doubt. He begins to twist some words. And he, and he also blatantly lies to, to Adam and Eve about what God has said. And I think what the enemy really kind of puts out there before Adam and Eve is, does God really give you everything does he really give you all of himself does he hold something back is he trustworthy can you trust him fully and completely did he really say 
that he would take care of you? Or is there something there that he may have in a galaxy far, far away that you can benefit from? Was God holding back? The answer is no. We know that. Hindsight's kind of 20-20. And we get to Matthew, we'll see it a little bit more. But even the Gospels itself is that when God came here to the earth, He held nothing back. Jesus said on the night that He was betrayed and arrested, He said, Lord God, if You can take this cup from Me, please do it. But if not, I will go through it. I will give all of Myself. So we see this throughout. But some, some observations here, some subtleties. First, God's words are misrepresented by Eve and by the serpent. You ever notice that she adds, touch the tree? God said, just don't eat from it. Now, there's some, some arguments about touch and eat in Hebrew language and culture really mean the same thing. But, but I also think there's, there's, there's other commentaries that kind of um, goes against that in some ways. She adds to the word of God, I think, is a very subtle thing. How many times do we kind of add to the word of God in order to keep ourselves in control. That's the religious aspect sometimes, right? God said this, but we add a little bit more to it. Maybe to get our way with God or with someone else or whatever. The quoting of the word many times that we even misquote along those ways because we've added certain things. Well, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not quoting it exactly. This is kind of my paraphrase. And we add certain subtleties to it to make it look a certain way, to make it look in a light. She adds in, you know, touch the tree. Hmm, doesn't it sound like the enemy kind of wants to do that to us sometimes? Just to add something in. Did God really say this? And, and because we want to fight against the enemy so much that so we begin to add certain things. We need to be aware of that. And to me, really what we're looking at here is not necessarily about the knowledge of the Word. It's an understanding of the Word. Eve didn't fully understand. And it points some to the relationship that she has with God. Now I know she's living in a perfect environment but I still think it does. Second observation here is Eve begins to drop words as well. God said in, in chapter 2, verse 15, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. She replies in, in chapter 3, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. Now I know it's subtle to drop free and to drop any. But the way I look at this is God is talking to Adam and Eve saying, look, you are free to eat talks about freedom and grace and love and mercy of any tree in the garden except this one. Because when you do, you're going to think you can be like me. I'm, I'm saying that as a protection to you, as something to keep this relationship the way it's supposed to be. I tell this to, to my kids sometimes, especially my daughters, when, when they're kind of pushing the bounds of a rule or something. I'm not giving you this rule. We're not giving this rule to control you or to make your life miserable. It's to protect you. It's to set you up for success. Now, that's hard for a six-year-old or a nine-year-old to wrap their mind around. It's hard for someone who's in their 30s or 40s or 50s or 70s to wrap their mind around that sometimes. I believe God's saying, hey, look, you're free to do this because I love you and I care for you. But Eve kind of perceives it a little bit different. Well, yeah, we can't eat from any tree in the garden. God's kind of limiting us. It's a subtlety the enemy's already picking at her heart in some ways. I think the third observation here is Eve kind of lessens the identity of the tree by referring to its location versus its significance. She says tree in the middle of the garden versus the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And fourth, when, when she's talking to the, to the serpent here, she begins to refer to him as God. Now all the other references in chapter 2 is the Lord God. 
She's dropping some of the, the majesty of God's name there. It's the same as sometimes we say, we're talking about identity this morning, that we say, the Lord God, the one who created me, the one who's over me, the God Almighty, versus, yeah, God. Now, sometimes in our heart, we may perceive those as same, but sometimes when we come to God and we say, he's the creator of the universe, he's the one who's for me and not against me, he's the one who hears my prayer, I'm a friend of God, we begin to call out these names of God, it, it means something different in the relationship versus God. It's a subtlety I know. And all these are subtleties, but it's the way the enemy begins to work in our lives so that we take back control that's God's into our own. It's the creation telling the creator that the creator's not right, that the creator doesn't know best when we're the creation. It's hard, though, to give life. And you can see the serpent's explanation in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. He gives them a great explanation of how unfair God is. That God has held something back. He says, no, you will not die. It's a half-truth. Are they going to die immediately? No. And they don't die immediately. But all of a sudden their days become where they they face a, a, a mortal death of their physical bodies, but also a spiritual separation that only can be fixed by a great sacrifice. Ultimately, God coming. It says, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened. Oh, God's holding back. So the enemy begins to take the words of God, and he says, hey, God's not good, God's not gracious, God's selfish, and he's deceptive. God's not for you, he's against you, he's punishing you. God's sending you through something that you don't even need to go through. Sounds like us sometimes. And they're living in the garden where everything is perfect. They buy into the lie of it all and it really makes God seem irrational like this irrational demanding person that we may equate to like a boss or a parent or 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 something else that he's kind of completely crazy and Adam and Eve they fell for the short-term gratification instead of understanding what the, the the expense that they were they were really paying for the future what they were giving up And to me, it really comes down that the Word of God got diluted by the Word of the serpent. The Word of God. Not just this, but yeah, this is the Word of God. But God's words, the enemy wants to come to twist them, to kind of throw some subtle things in. And we have these mind battles all the time. Is God trustworthy? I was talking to Michael a couple weeks ago and and just saying, you know, I feel faithful so many times to God, but yet He doesn't answer my prayers the way I want Him to. Anyone ever feel that way? You you know, it's like, God, why aren't you moving? But He is moving, maybe in the invisible ways that we don't see. We look in the the hall of faith in Hebrews and and really throughout the Old Testament, which is the Hebrews summarizes that, and and it talks about these, these saints like Abraham who got the promise. Did he see the fulfillment of the promise? All the stars in the sky and his ascendance as numerous as the sand of the sea? No, he didn't. And it says, you know, and he had his moments where, where you know, he didn't fully trust God and, and you know, tried to bring an heir through um, Hagar, Hagar, right? A separate way. We have these moments that where we begin to kind of get away from God's words and the enemy is there subtly twisting things. Is God really trustworthy because he hasn't answered your prayer? Is God really trustworthy because he hasn't moved? Or look at the chaos that's going on here, 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 or whatever. And we begin to fall for these things. Interesting, 
The fruit here is described in the Hebrew word, it, we translate it as good, but there's some other things that, that can render from the meaning of this, and it's beautiful or moral. What Eve saw as good or beautiful or moral was really an act of disobedience. What was beautiful? Man, how many things do we see? This is beautiful, or this is moral, or this is good. But it's really just a, a shiny bulb, a shiny thing that's just flickering in the wind, getting our attention. It's the Word of God is what it comes to. But it's really more than that. It's really a submission to the Lord. Matthew chapter 4 is the temptation of, of Jesus. And it basically says you know, that Jesus was led up, verse 1, was led up by the Spirit, Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him, to stand, uh, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So the Word of God's being used in the temptation of Jesus, and Jesus is answering with the Word. The enemy does that subtly sometimes, to take God's Word, the Word of God, and begin to twist it. That's why it's important that we know the fullness of the Word. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and immediately angels came and began to worship him or began to serve him. You know, I think we've probably heard many sermons on this or, or Bible studies, the importance of God's word. But I, and I think that's definitely true. But I also think there's an attitude and a posture that Jesus had that was different than Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve was in perfect relationship with God. And Jesus is fully man and fully God. The temptation here, I think, is, is part of the, the man part of him, the mankind part. But yet, he's also fully God. And, and in a lot of ways, there's similarities here. A lot of similarities. But Jesus responded different than Adam and Eve. Why? I think it deals with relationship. The depth of the relationship. The depth of trust that Jesus had with the Father, which comes to that posture that I just mentioned, a posture of humility and a posture or an attitude that, that we have to have as well. Because so many times, we have a different posture with God. We have a different attitude. God, you haven't worked for me yet. I'm going to turn to something else, which is usually myself. God, you haven't answered my prayer. I'm going to take things in my own hand. You've heard people say many times, well, I'm just going to go and do it, and, and, and if it's not God, then you know, God's going to just uh, get me back on the right course without even praying, without even seeking. When we flip to Philippians, there's a, there's an, a stance and an attitude that Jesus takes in Philippians 2. In verse 5, He says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. That's really the key. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Why is it, Kristen, you don't want me to go through your pocketbook? You don't have to answer that necessarily. This, I don't think there's anything you're necessarily wanting to hide. But there may be something there that's embarrassing. You know, begin to go through, pull something out. 
God already knows what's there in our hearts. He already, maybe, maybe there's a trust thing. Maybe you don't want to give me the keys to your house because there's something out of order in your house. Maybe you didn't wash the dishes this morning. Maybe there's things in your house that, that you wouldn't be so proud that, that others to see or want others to see. It's a trust issue sometimes too. And Jesus says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God. He's God. But he didn't consider himself equal with God. He's submitting to the Father. But he's God. He's one part of the three parts of God. But he doesn't consider himself in equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave or a ser servant, taking on the likeness of men. And we had come as a man in his external form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's Jesus who is God. And he's saying, I'm willing to submit to the Father. I'm willing to go to the cross because that's what the Father wants me to do. It's a control thing. It's so hard to give ourselves over to God fully and completely. Yes, we say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. Yes, I'm, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I give. I do all these things. But there's a lot of subtleties that are there in our life. And our actions show it many times. Our actions show that we don't have a full trust. There's fear that seeps in. And we're all going to battle fear. I'm not, I'm not saying if you have fear, then, then you're disobedient. But we all have fear. But sometimes our actions coming out of those fears. They're, just, they're crippling sometimes. They're paralyzing sometimes. Because we haven't got back into the Word. We haven't submitted ourselves fully to God. There's other times we deal with just lack of trust in, in, in maybe our future or even our present. Is God going to lead us? Is God going to guide us? If He takes care of the birds and the grass, won't He take care of us? Is He trustworthy is really the question. It's a question we have to all ask in our hearts and let Him begin to answer. And I think He's answered in a lot of ways. Yes, He is trustworthy. He is someone that we can trust. Someone I can give every aspect of my life to. Every little thing. We talk about provision sometimes. And, and there's a balance that we all have to begin to wrestle with as, as, as we grow older in some ways, as, as we work our ways through maybe um, promotions and, and, and all those things. When, what is the balance? We want to provide for our family. We want to take care of the next generation as well. But at what expense? And we say, well, this is the best thing. But if we come and made our attitude like Christ Jesus, yes, we may have the talent, we may have all that, but we empty ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, if this is not the direction you want me to go in, then make it clear. It's that modern world thing. The Burger King philosophy or theology, have it your way. It's the subtlety of that. We hear that. Not just Burger King, but we hear it in a lot of advertising. We hear it in, in education. We hear it in, in, in movies. We hear it all over the place. Be an individual. 
You can do all things. And even Christianity, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Absolutely. But it's a submission to God that comes first. Jesus is Lord. Joseph, isn't that what you said? Jesus is Lord? Someone said that this morning. Andrea said that. Someone, it's Jesus Lord. Are we willing to submit? To say, God, you have control. I'd like to say that, that I've come to a place to say absolutely. But it's not that case. But it's an awareness to know that, that Jesus doesn't have control of certain areas of my life that then allows me to come to him in prayer and begin to make my attitude like Christ Jesus to say, Lord, this area I'm really struggling with, but I give it to you and begin to pray and begin to turn it over and begin to say, Lord, I need you to, to do something in this area or this area or this area or whatever. Making our attitude like that of Christ is the posture that we must have. You know, for some, for some of us, maybe probably all of us, let's just be honest. There's something that's been there. It's, it hasn't been obvious rebellion. It's probably been something a lot more subtle. That we're not giving God complete control. It could be our future. It could be our present. It could be our feelings. It could be our dreams. It could be even our family. Is our family going to be okay? It could be our health. It could be our attitudes. It could be our heart sets, actions, bitterness, unforgiveness. Control is what it comes down to. Lord, I'm going to hold on to this because I have the right to hold on to it. We don't have the right. We gave it up when we said, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. We're citizens in heaven. The citizenship of heaven is different than any worldly citizenship. We have to make our attitude like that of Christ Jesus. And say, Lord, here is my attitude. Even though I'm fully justified, at least we think we're fully justified, right? The, the words of the righteous, I'm fully justified. Lord, here is my present. Here is my future. Here is my dream. Here is my feeling. Here's my family. Here's my health. Here's all these things. And I lay them before you because you're trustworthy. We talked a little bit about last week. The, the willingness to be stretched, to be made uncomfortable. We don't like it. None of us do. But if we sing these songs, Nathan, can you go to the third song? Jesus is the center. Keep going. I don't know. It's this one, yeah. Nothing else matters. We all sing these words, right? Do we believe them? Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. I had a hard time seeing them. Just because I know the depth of my heart. And I'm saying, you know, I, I want to believe that. I want my life to model that. And I think that's, that's the way we all need to have that posture. But there's also a reality of saying, you know what, when I leave here today and I start the week tomorrow or the next day or whatever, or if Carolina loses tonight, am, am I going to have this posture? <laughs> That's very surfacey, right? <laughs> or if my car doesn't start tomorrow. 
Jesus, nothing else. You're the center. It's about submission fully and completely. We don't like that word. It has, it has so many implications of being walked upon, being walked over. But it's, it's, a per, it's, it's really a portrait of the relationship of the creator to the creation and the creation to the creator. God never designed for us to be God. He designed for us to worship him and to give him glory as his creation. But he promised to take care of us. He promised to guide us and direct us. Sometimes through the mess, sometimes through the difficulties. Nothing else matters. Nothing this world will do. This should mark us as individuals, but also as a church. Nothing else matters but Jesus. Ben was saying that, keeping the main, your friend, keeping the main thing. You've heard me say that as well. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Coming and saying, Jesus, let me make my attitude like that of you. Let me not consider equality with something that I should grasp. Let me not use even who I am as a believer to my advantage. Empty myself, Lord. Help me to empty myself fully. Let me take on the, the, the likeness of a servant or a slave. Let me humble myself fully to obedience. This is what it requires for all of us. And my challenge is this. Are you willing to step into that? We've, we've talked a lot today. We've sang a lot today. The words are there. But are we willing to say, okay, something's going to be different. Cynthia, you started it this morning. You know that. You can all blame Cynthia. From the very beginning, saying she was AWOL. And she doesn't want to be like that. I think for all of us, it's kind of that gut check. Do I really want to be halfway or fully? It doesn't change a lot of our situations immediately. We may still carry that cross, that same old cross, for 10, 15, 20, or for the rest of our life. But Jesus, you're the center. Jesus, you're the center. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room will be convicted by you, not by me, but by you, to make you the center fully and completely in our lives. Lord, there's, I don't believe there's anyone here who's in obvious rebellion, but Lord, the subtleties of do I really, do I really trust you, Lord, with my health? Do I really trust you with my finances? Lord, I really trust you with that relationship. Lord, I really trust you with my attitude or my present or my future or my family, whatever it may be, Lord. Lord, we come before you. We lay our hearts bare before you. Lord, we know this is not an easy, comfortable process. We know it's a stretching thing. But Lord, there's been a, a lot of honesty here this morning, a lot of vulnerability, and I thank you for it. Lord, there are hearts here who want this. We all want it, Lord. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit. As we sing, Spirit of God, pour Yourself out. Fill us up. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit. Burn away those, those things that are not honoring You. Put us in the fire, Lord. Dangerous prayer we know, but put us in the fire. Purify us. Purify our hearts and minds. And as we declare in this song, Jesus, You be the center. God, You be the center of it all.
We honor you, Lord. Lord, kick us in the butt. Lord, let us not do it as we've always done it, day after day. Light that fire, Lord. To you, through our lives, through our actions, through all of it, you receive the glory. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you are transforming us and renewing us day by day. Lord, help us to make the choice to submit to that fully. To you, Lord Jesus. To you, Lord Jesus, be all praise and all glory and all thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.